Welcome to this edition of the Jackets Online podcast. I'm here with Jared Hallis, and I'm Kelly Quinlan, and we're going to talk Georgia Tech uh, football, basketball, actually getting ready to get started. Uh, obviously, a tumultuous week for Josh Passner and the Yellow Jackets on that front, and then uh, uh, a pretty bitter and disappointing loss up in Charlottesville for the Jackets, uh, and then... You know, Virginia Tech come into town, uh, obviously pissed off after what happened to them in Miami. They got basically completely uh, destroyed by the Hurricanes. And then Georgia Tech loses a heartbreaker on the road to Virginia. So you got two teams coming off losses that need to bounce back. And I I think it's going to be an interesting game to kind of see what happens this week. This is obviously uh, one of the more interesting and compelling uh, matchups year in and year out for Georgia Tech with the Hokies. So... Uh, all in all, going to be a busy weekend. Georgia Tech basketball kicks off on Friday, really late at night against UCLA from Shanghai, China, where the uh, Jackets are right now. And then football gets started at 12:20 on uh, whatever network it's on, ACC network or whatever, and they'll be playing the Hokies uh, in a nooner. So it's going to be an interesting week for the Jackets uh, need a win to get bowl eligible um, really need to win two more to, to be 100% sure so it's going to be a, a, an important game for Georgia Tech especially as they're running out of chances to kind of screw up here and not get wins and this is an opportunity to get uh, back-to-back wins over Virginia Tech for the first time in quite a while so uh, Jared kind of what are your thoughts right now on this game and kind of what happened up in Virginia as well uh, you know, all season long, we kind of just always thought that Virginia Tech was going to be, you know, obviously a night game. I don't remember the last time it's been a anything but a night game at Bobby Dodd. Do you remember? Um, I can look that up in a second, but yeah, I, think I mean, I feel like some... it's been a while. I remember when Jeremiah punched Logan Thomas in the head. That was a night game. Um, yeah, it's been. I mean, it's been years. Um, um, you know, a lot of them, I think. I feel like even the games up in Blacksburg, a lot of them have been in the evenings or on Thursday night. Um, so it's kind of one of those things like they kind of like to have the two teams. And as Paul Johnson said uh, so eloquently on Wednesday, that typically this game is decided who wins the, the Coastal, and this will be one of the few times it has not. So I think we even mentioned that last week. We were like, because it was on that hold where to see what would happen for the Georgia Tech Virginia game to to decide the time of the Virginia Tech game, and then we were just talking about how you know it would probably be a night game. Georgia Tech plays out of their minds at Bobby Dodd Stadium at night, and then now we don't even have that going for us anymore. So it's kind of just like a one of those things where you hope your team isn't like kind of. I feel like if there's going to be a hangover all season long, this would probably be like where we'd see it the most. Uh, because the two heartbreaking losses kind of fuel a little bit of a fire and kind of make you want to go out and play better the next week. However, when you lose to a team that you know that you probably should have beat, that's what, in my opinion, those are the losses that kind of make you not play as well as you should the game afterwards. By, by the way, Virginia is not a bad football team. Like No, no, um, they're not. They're, pro- they're middle of the pack. They're a team that really should probably have won eight games this year. They're not going to do that probably, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, kind of disappointing to see, um, 
the way that game unfolded, the way it ended, not being able to hold the lead, getting a two-score lead in the second half, and just completely blowing it. Um, you know, that that's sort of the frustrating part if you're a, a Georgia Tech fan because you had an opportunity to um, to really make a, a, a stand and make a significant move in terms of being um, a major player in the conference and being a team that could, you know, go to the ACC championship potentially. Obviously, the other end of it didn't exactly hold up either um, with, you know, uh, the Jackets. Yeah, with the Jackets losing. uh, I mean, with uh, Virginia Tech losing to Miami down in Miami. So, you know, sort of is what it is, is uh, Coach Sean. I mean, Virginia is a good team. They, I mean, we, like, everyone knows that we struggle playing down there. Or up there, I guess. But, however, I mean, it, it's just kind of the fashion in which we lost. Like, you get up two touchdowns in 35 seconds to start the second half, and, okay, we're just going to steamroll them here in the second half. And then immediately, like, four minutes later, it's a tie game again. So it was just kind of one of those things where not not nearly as heartbreaking as the first two losses, but it, it definitely stung a little bit. Well, uh, by the way, they've uh, since Virginia Tech joined the league, every one of these games has been at night in Bobby Dodd. They've played some day games up in, in Blacksburg, but not in Atlanta. So, yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting thing. I actually feel like the new uh, the new setup playing here at 1220 may actually benefit Georgia Tech. I, I just wonder, Virginia Tech, out of the two teams, played the much more physical and demanding game. And um, I feel like it's not going to... to be a situation where they, they may have, you know, I think their hangover factor opportunity is a lot higher than Georgia Tech's, to be honest, in my, in my opinion, from watching both teams. They played a brutal game against the Miami team that was fired up and didn't show up. They didn't show up last year against Georgia Tech. I just, I, I have a good feeling about this game. I don't know why, don't know why I didn't feel good about the Virginia game um, last week. I didn't like the matchup at all. I didn't like the fact it was going to rain again. Um, I feel like the Tech players or Georgia Tech players are pissed off, and I think that's going to lead to an interesting game. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and win this game and beat Duke. And then you get into UGA land, and anything can happen. Um, <laughs> I was joking with somebody today: if if they win the next two and then somehow beat Georgia. If they were, if Georgia comes into Atlanta undefeated, they'd have to build a statue of Paul Johnson next to the one of, uh, of Bobby Dodd and Bobby Dodd down there. Yeah, definitely. on the plaza. Uh, I would definitely be down for that. Um, I, I kind of feel good about Virginia Tech game too, though. I mean, the players I think like to play more at noon. I mean, JJ Green talked about it earlier on in the season. No one really wants to, you know, get cut block at 12 o'clock right when they get up uh, in the morning, but as far as the crowd goes, it's definitely a bummer for that. Uh, you know, usually if we're going to have a sold-out stadium or somewhere close to it at Bobby Dodd, it's going to be a, a later kickoff. So from that aspect, it's a little disappointing. However, I think the players are, like you said, they're they're going to be pissed off. They're going to be ready to go, and hopefully they'll be able to come out with a dub. Yeah, it's, um, you know, a lot on the line really for Georgia Tech right now. and. A lot of pride from these kids, uh, you know, from Taquan all the way across to the Austin Twins, and uh, you wonder kind of where it's going. I, I see some interesting things. Um, 
kind of looking at the big picture here, the defensive talent's getting better. Um, and Bruce Jordan Swilling's played really well, considering he's um, playing his what not he's played nine games at linebacker in his life basically yeah. like a, a high level of football right yeah. um you know he had a fumble forced fumble fumble recovery and a pick six um all in the and 11 tackles game. yeah and 11 tackles i mean oh just an all-around good game from the kid i mean you can't ask for really anything more from somebody who doesn't have any experience at the position so i mean he's playing lights out victor alexander had another good game so, as far as defense goes, I mean, we really just kind of got killed by the long ball. I think they had, like, three passes that were just fade routes and got caught for a touchdown. Uh, so, I mean, the And the line... guy put the ball on the money, by the way. It was not oh, – they absolutely. were not bad throws or the guy making a great play or whatever. He, he put the ball right in, in the Yeah, absolutely. Spot. That kid was dropping him in the bread basket. So, there wasn't much that anybody could do about that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Virginia Tech, obviously, always very good on defense. They have Tim Settle and, and Ricky Walker kid inside at the D-tackle position. They have um, two really f- great cornerbacks in Brandon Faison and uh, the Stroman kid. Brandon Faison actually went to high school with me. Uh, he was actually kind of a – I don't want to say a good friend, but we, we were pretty close. Uh, we talked after the 2013 game when he had an interception near the sidelines uh, – I'm not. I don't know if I should say this. So I, I guess I'm not. But he was a little bit unsure about his interception as well. I don't know if you remember it, but it was like a diving interception on the sidelines. It was. Yeah, a, yeah, I remember that. He was quarterback. Yeah, he he was a little bit unsure about that one as well. But he ended up getting the call. So congrats to him. And yeah, he's a good. He's a really good kid. Really good player. Could be a sleeper in the NFL draft after this season. So we have to be looking out for him. And a classic tech-tech recruiting battle uh, yep. came down to the two techs. He ended up going to Virginia Tech. It's hard to blame a kid for wanting to go play for Bud Foster. And what they do defensively, uh, it's, it's definitely um, year in and year out, they're really good. And you can look at any kind of metric you want to look at in terms of defense and what they do in the ACC. And they're very good on defense. And offensively, they have some weapons. Cam Phillips is an NFL, like a high-level NFL wide receiver. Josh Jackson's been really impressed me with his toughness and ability to make plays mm-hmm. with both his feet and his arm. Um, the two running backs, Peebles and McMillan, um, are very serviceable guys. They'll get tough yards for him. And they they do a lot of different stuff, multiple formations. Um, they try to, to kind of stack guys at times to, to get, create mismatches. They'll throw some tricks at you, all kinds of stuff. So it's one of those games where you kind of be, kind of be on on it. And then the biggest issue, the thing that's you know can will keep you up at night if you're Paul Johnson this week is the the return game for them with McMillan and the kick return game and Stroman and the punt. They're yeah. really good. They are an old fashioned Virginia Tech special teams unit. They they make plays and I'd almost kick out kick out of bounds. Um, you know, one of the funny parts is one of the Coach of the staff told me a story the other day about he was on a team where they tried that against like they were playing a team with a really good kick returner and the the coach and the opposing side just declined the penalty and made them re-kick it again and again until they actually kicked off to where it was returnable. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, that hopefully could be, we won't see that this Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the kick coverage has been. It, quite frankly, if you want to single out one thing this year that could 
could have changed that would have made a difference in the season. It's kickoff and kick coverage. And if you have a better kicker and a little bit better coverage, Georgia Tech's probably, you know, got six wins right now, maybe seven. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's where you have to feel for it, too, on the defensive side, because, I mean, half the time it seems like they're taking, they're having to start their possessions on, like, the 40, 50-yard line, so it's just, it's hard to watch, and, I mean, and even the return last week, they could have had the guy down near the 25-yard line, but he, you know, shook off a few guys and ended up getting on the outside, so. They didn't rally to the ball well, and, yeah, it was it was pretty brutal um, all the way around. I it's just been a frustrating season for Georgia Tech in a lot of ways, and I think that um, you you get into the this part of the season and it's kind of make or break time. They've kind of let things get out of hand, and if I'm on this team, this is when you got to rally and and kind of dig deep and figure out a way to have a big season and to get wins and to finish strong and you know play upset a little bit here you get a chance to upset Virginia Tech season a little bit you got a chance to improve your bowl chances then you can go play Duke next week you should be able to beat them end up with a pretty decent season despite you know the, all the close losses and then try to build on that into something for next year yeah I mean if you like you said like this is kind of your last chance to prove that you know you're a legit team I mean a lot of people think that the best case scenario right now is going to be six wins, like with a loss to either Virginia Tech or or Georgia. I mean, and that's understandable. However, no one's going to hang their head over a, a seven and four season in which you lost to a Clemson, the defending national champions, the best Miami team in so many years, a Virginia Tech team with two losses, and Obviously, the Tennessee loss is one that looks a lot worse now than it was then, but I mean, they've gotten worse every week. So, I mean, they Georgia were a top 25 team to start the year, and really before they had – and quite honestly, Tennessee, for all the bluster about Butch Jones and stuff, they've been really beset with injuries. Like, they've been hit hard and at the same positions, particularly on the offensive line. When you really pull back and look at it – and I think Butch Jones catches a lot of grief because they've underachieved in his first few years and he's kind of an ass. But the reality of it is that they're not a bad team. They're actually pretty close to being okay. They just got decimated by injuries and didn't have a, a good quarterback situation. And But, yeah, you look at every one of the losses except for Virginia was the team that was ranked at the time. They possibly could end the season with – three losses to top 10 teams and two teams, at least probably two teams that could be in the playoffs, possibly three. So, you know, and and they're still trying to get a 12th game. They could get a 12th game. You could end up at seven wins still, which is a pretty good season. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the, the thing that's disappointing, I think is not getting it to win the coastal when you've really been just as good as everyone else you've played so far. Yeah. The division. This is really the only game left where you're kind of curious to how to weigh yourself. But you know they played Virginia down to the wire. They played Miami down to the wire, and beat everyone else on the schedule in the conference, and except for Clemson on the other side. So you know it, it's kind of an interesting situation for them. I just don't get um, why why you have years like this. What happens? That how things spiral on you and stuff and. That's one of the reasons why coaches get paid a lot of money to figure those things out, and that's something Paul Johnson's kind of struggling with right now. 
You know, that's one of the things where you kind of ha- ha- haven't been able to see this year with Georgia Tech is you just kind of have to have things go your way. And even in seasons like 2015 and stuff, we, we saw it a lot of times. Other than the Florida State game, I mean, there was a lot of things that just did not go Georgia Tech's way. And I feel like, you know, against Tennessee with the misreading against Miami with the tip pass, we haven't really had things go our way. And that's something that can absolutely kill your season. It's just really hard to build off of. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's that's been one of many issues this year. It's kind of been across the board. You've seen offensive issues, uh, defensive issues, and special teams. Is, other than Presley Harvin, has basically been kind of a train wreck. The return game's not been good. Punt return's not been good. Um, you know, they blocked a punt, which was the first time that they'd done something like that in a while. So that was nice to see Antonio Simmons with a, a great effort play there and blocked the hell out of the punt. And, um, but yeah, it's just been frustrating. And that's the kind of stuff that you feel like you shouldn't be having issues with in, in year 10. And that's where I think fans get a little bit frustrated. That's something that can be, that should be a, an easy part of your program. I think that's what's frustrating Paul Johnson. I think, I wouldn't be surprised to see him shake up things a little bit in terms of staffing after the season um, in a few spots. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to project on what they might do, but I know they're going to be adding some, some staff here and there, so maybe he shakes things up a little bit uh-huh. uh, and tries to get some people who are a little bit more um, able to help on this, particularly on the special teams front. Uh, you know, they're going to add a 10th coach. I'll be curious to see what he does there. I had thought that maybe Coach Owens would move over to special teams and he'd bring Tevin on to staff, uh, Tevin Washington, but I don't know that's what's going to happen. Um, it would be interesting if Charles Kelly gets fired at Florida State. I think you know he has a great relationship with Coach Johnson, loves Georgia Tech, and if he doesn't get offered another D.C. spot, I could easily see Charles coming back uh, on staff as well. That would be a huge upgrade in terms of recruiting and, and secondary coaching. Um, he, he's really good at that. So, you know, that that's a, another sort of subplot to all of this that I'll be watching kind of as we dovetail into the tail end of this season. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things not going our way, how about uh, the three kids for UCLA getting caught shoplifting in China? Yeah, it was funny. I get up on, uh, I guess, what, it was Tuesday? Was it Tuesday, maybe? And, um, yeah, I guess it was Tuesday, and... Yeah, Tuesday. You see the story that like some Texas kids were detained in the hotel, and before uh-huh. you know, I didn't I didn't have a chance to reach out to anyone or anything. We were just shooting the breeze with some people, and I assume that you know maybe they brought like a Bluetooth speaker with them and were playing loud music in a hotel or something, and then it turns into this whole other thing where these you know kids from UCLA alleged allegedly shoplifted some uh louis vuitton stuff uh sunglasses or whatnot and hey it's I a mean, perfect time how about it i'll probably never be back in china again in their lives yeah I, I i can't imagine you know short of visiting north korea and doing that i can't imagine a worse place other than china to to get caught doing that stuff i mean yeah they're they're talking about like the kids may have trouble going home um They've, they've Steve Alford's already said they're not going to play in the game Friday. Um, you don't when you're in a foreign country, kids. If you're listening, 
you don't break the law. Don't spit on the sidewalk. Don't chew gum <laughs> where you're not supposed to chew gum. You have to be careful. I mean, the culture's a lot different in places like that. So the you smallest stand things. You like a sore thumb. Nope. You're a foot taller than anyone else, regardless of who you are. On the, unless you're Muggsy Bogues. Like, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. No one, yeah. you know, sees someone that looks like you all the time. So, hell yeah, you're going to be, people are going to be watching you anyways. And just for sort of, uh, you know, it's like if a blue person showed up in the middle of um, Atlanta, so it would stick out and you would notice it, you know, like, and so that's how they stick out in a place like China. And um <laughs> So if someone's watching you, you're not going to get away with anything. And it's so stupid. And they have, it's not like that Leangelo Ball kid's hurting for money. I think he has a Ferrari. I'm, I'm yeah. almost positive he has a Ferrari. So, uh, oh, I, just, I, I, really I saw don't a know. tremendous meme, by the way, of uh, his newest shoe, their newest shoe, the Baller brand shoe. Oh, like, I saw that as well. The, him in a prison jumper. And it's like <laughs> a prison shoes. orange, yeah. But, yeah, props to whoever made that. That was hilarious. You know, and but the good news for uh, many people in the Georgia Tech world was that it, it bumped Josh Passner off the front page briefly uh, for his issues with his old BFF, uh, Ron Bell, who turned on him because, you know, he forgot to call him on his birthday because as dudes, that's what we do. We call our bros on birthday. <laughs> them a happy bro I mean, what a friggin' joke that is. And yeah, that is sad. And this sad human being who's obviously got a lot of personal issues manipulating these young kids um, who, by the way, should know better than that. And, you know, if I'm 18 years old, the last thing I want to do is hang out with a 50 year old guy. But whatever. That's besides the point. Like, you know, you're talking about broke kids trying to get, you know, some money for food or some shoes or whatever. I get it. And. He thinks he's doing a favor for Josh by doing the stuff behind Josh's back, supposedly. So yeah, but then at the same time, it almost seems like he had it all like ready to go just in case like a fall through like this did happen. Well, it seems like the whole thing was orchestrated by him in kind of a long game to get Josh back because he was upset about feeling slighted. And I mean, it it's honestly like a it's like a pissed off wife. Like it's it's, it's so like ridiculous. an ex wife. I mean, as a divorced guy who's now remarried. I can tell you that, especially early in a divorce, there's a lot of petty things that go on back and forth. And this right. strikes me as, like, someone fighting over custody of the cat. You know, like... Exactly. It's, it's... just stupid, and there's no point. Go get another cat. Like, <laughs> Especially if... for somebody who has, like, no relationship with, with Georgia Tech whatsoever. I mean, I, he says he has, has like credentials whatever well, he to has do a past to get around because he's josh's friend just like josh's wife or his brother-in-law or whatever would have like and that's a huge mistake by josh pastner i met or saw this guy hanging around the story i heard the back story from some people from memphis on the guy and was just completely sketched out to begin with the guy seemed weird and like a loser to me like i just but josh is a really friendly guy and he has a lot of um, kind of he takes on some sad cases sometimes around him in his life and that's the kind of guy he is and it's problematic because you can't have when you can't put yourself in that position when you're a man in as powerful a job as Josh Pastner as you have to be careful about who you surround yourself with and it's a discussion I have with all, 
all the time with people, whether they're in my business or in coaching. And I have lots of friends that are football coaches and basketball coaches all over the country that I've known over the years. And they all kind of had the same opinion about this is at some point you, you don't have someone like this around your program. That's not stable. Like it's just a bad idea. And, and a lot of people are calling for like a restraining order stuff. I don't know if that could even be a possibility, would it? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I know that he he's certainly barred from campus. Um, there's some, you know, the girlies law things kind of interesting. If he looked like he was trying to set the kids up, um, to, to, to get money, um, he could certainly be in trouble in the state of Georgia, but he didn't live in Georgia, so that's kind of a weird situation. Um, to me, this just seems like a really sad human being crying out for attention, and uh, you know, and that's kind what of pissed at I mean, Gary Parrish for running a story about about this all when Josh is out of the country, and he had the story, you know, last Thursday, well, or Wednesday, well before Josh left the country, when they could have. He could have responded, he could have called Josh, got quotes, could have sent the story to Georgia Tech and got a response, did none of those things. It just seemed like yellow journalism to me. And I'm not one to call somebody out for that stuff, but it just seemed like a hatchet job from a guy that didn't like Josh for some reason. And there's, if you go back and read some of Gary's stuff, he, he's obviously not a fan of Josh Pastner anyways. Mm-hmm. And it, it definitely, this kind of just surfaced because – this this character, this Ron Bell guy, was reaching out to other people, trying to tell a story, and they all were basically like, "No, we're not running this. This is stupid." Right, like and then you're... Gary just listens to every word and publishes it as if it's all true. Yeah, and the guy's contradicting himself and acting crazy. And when you push Gary Parish on it, like I heard him get interviewed in Atlanta on the radio. And by the way, I tried to contact the guy; he wouldn't respond back to me. Gary Parish. Because um, uh-huh. I was curious, I kind of wanted to to ask him some questions and get an honest response. Because I was curious about his decisions in terms of what he was doing, and uh, he didn't uh, didn't get into it. But whatever. So, um, you know, it, it just to me, uh, you know, you got guys in trouble. Like Bruce Pearl right now is probably about to get fired by Auburn, right? Avery right. Johnson and Jim Laranega are in deep trouble at both their jobs. Um, we're talking about a thousand dollars here. Like this is nothing compared to what was going on at all these other schools. And it was done by someone these kids thought was their friend. That's like the worst part of it. And right, I mean, you saw the picture of them supposedly in his pool in, in Arizona or wherever it was. They, I mean, they looked like they were kind of enjoying themselves. So. You'd never expect for someone like that to frame somebody and, and potentially, I mean, not potentially even, I mean, it disrupts their career, disrupts their future. It's just one big distraction that no one wants to have. And worst of all, if it, you know, with Todrick, he's a senior. This is it for him. This yeah. may be the last basketball he ever plays in his life, and he's losing a chunk of his season because of, you know, a guy who has the vendetta of like some girl you had a one night stand with almost like if you're if you're Ron Bell, how is this like how in the world is this your strategy for getting your friend back? Well to me it's just when you're mentally when you're mentally ill and I was a psych double major at Georgia. Uh, for those that don't know I have a degree in journalism from the the school to the east. 
And I was a double major also in psychology, and I've started to work actually on my master's at Kennesaw in psychology um, before I came back to Rivals and started covering Georgia Tech. But anyways, um, they're, they're just it's mental illness, man. Like in my opinion, um, I don't know what else from you the call ten thousand just... foot view looking at all of this, it strikes me as instability in the mind and something that not a normal person's thought process whatsoever. I mean, quite frankly, if some friend of mine does me wrong, you know what I do? They ain't my friend anymore. You know, like you move on and do something like, and that happens in life throughout life. Um, And the thing that's the most screwed up to me is that this guy claims to this day, Josh saved his life. If that's how it is, then the last thing on earth you should ever do is try to mess that guy up. If he gave you, if he helped keep you alive for all these years because of his actions, you owe that man the world and you should never cross him. Exactly. It's, especially with, you know, Josh is already, I don't want to say he's on like his, his last chance, but I mean, he got, he got fired from Memphis and now he's here at Georgia Tech and like say something crazy happens and something he does end up leaving the program some way. I mean, like this guy could never have a job on this same level ever again, all because of like someone that was supposed to be his friend. Yeah. And that's the part that's, you know, very disturbing and it just is sad. And, um, you know, this, this guy is just bad news and he's going to find himself friendless and shunned and probably not allowed to ever go on a college campus to a sporting event anywhere in the NCAA's jurisdiction. And, you know, that's what the guy deserves, and he can go sit and rot um, tweeting to nobody and about his crazy schemes or whatever, regardless of what happens to Josh. Because if Josh gets, you know, say worst-case scenario, they find more stuff and Josh gets fired, well, then no one's going to care about this guy anyways. So he becomes even more relevant, and that's, you know, a sad way to go through life. Like, that's what you're going to have on your conscience, and... At some point, maybe if he gets it together, he realizes what he did. That's going to be a lot of guilt to live with as well. It's just, uh, I'm literally sitting here shaking my head just thinking about it. I I don't even, we can honestly just move on because it kind of frustrates me and it just doesn't doesn't make sense. Well, so the basketball team on on the hardcourt front heads to UCLA with nine scholarship players. Uh, Shambari Phillips obviously has to sit out for a year because he transferred from Tennessee. And then Josh Okoge and Todrick Jackson are suspended. So um, the shorthanded Jackets will play. The Bruins, who are also down three players um, because of the shoplifting story. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. The probable lineup, Abdul Gay will be the, the power forward. You'll have Moses Wright. At the three, Lammers at center, and probably Alvarado and, and Haywood at guard. Um, basically, they got a bunch of kids, and those kids are going to have to play well until they get things settled with Todrick and Josh O, and you figure out when they come back. So, you know, right now they're kind of looking at four or five games for Todrick and seven or eight that Josh O was probably going to miss anyways with the finger. I mean, they probably could have played him some in a couple of weeks, but with his finger messed up, it's not necessarily a bad thing that he has to be uh, shut down. But, yeah, they go into this UCLA game. um, And then 
things kind of lighten up after that. They basically play um, a couple of decent teams and then a lot of sort of uh, basically junk games. And um, that's going to be an easy kind of path for them to, to navigate through while they wait to get their kind of two two of their three big pieces because really other than Lammers, Todrick and, and Josh O are, are kind of the centerpieces of the team. So yeah, they come back from UCLA on, and then on November 19th, which is a week, basically like uh, nine days later, they play Bethune-Cookman. They play UT Rio Grande Valley, uh, <laughs> North Texas. And then they play Northwestern, which will be a tough game, but it's in Atlanta. Grambling State. Um, they play Rick Barnes' Tennessee squad that's been really up and down. They'll play a game at Wofford, which could be interesting without – Joshua or Todrick. Yeah, Wofford's not a bad team. I know. It no, and it's on the road, so um, that that could turn into an interesting game. Uh, Florida A and M at Georgia, and then Wright State, Coppin State, and then you jump in, <laughs> jump into ACC play. So it's not exactly they're not playing Kentucky, and um, they're not going to the whatever Thanksgiving tournament and playing, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, uh, you know, playing uh, – they're not even playing, like, VCU and uh, teams like that again. So, you know, really the game at Georgia, the game against Tennessee, the game at Wofford, and the Northwestern game are kind of the four games you look at that are they are going to be hard, um, especially if they're shorthanded. And then – In your honest opinion, I mean, Georgia game's the 10th game of the season. I know previously we were talking about, like, you know – before all this new stuff came out, how the suspension would probably be nine games due to like punishments in the past. How do you feel about it now? Like, do you still think it'll only take until you know midway through December to figure it all out? I feel like Todrick will be back by by December first. Um, okay. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. So, so that's like the seventh game of the season. I, there's I can't unless there's something else that we don't know about. That's way more time than he probably will miss. Um, he may be back for Northwestern, uh, which is the 28th of November. Uh, Josh O, I thought originally with his injury that he would be sort of healed up around the Florida A&M game. That would give him a warm-up for Georgia. Um, you know, then there's a whole other aspect of this, too, is if you're playing Moses Wright and Haywood and um, – Brandon Alston kid, the transfer kid, um, and J- Justin Moore and Alvarado together in the backcourt some. Do you screw up your chemistry when you bring – Get those two guys that? back. Yeah, like Todrick will be back soon enough that I don't know that that's as big a deal. but and That's something that you have to worry about too because you, the, you play the tough game against UCLA and then, like you said, you kind of go into like the, the easier games of your schedule and it's a chance for all the younger guys to kind of get settled into – playing in college and, you know, develop a little bit of chemistry. So the last thing you want to happen is for all that to get broken up just because two players are returning. Yeah, but in the flip side of it, I don't, I have no idea how they're going to score points in, without Todrick or Joshua right now. Like, I agree. I, you know, I saw Moses had a nice, really nice game the other night in the exhibition against Faulkner. Um, uh-huh. Evan Cole does a nice job of kind of glass cleaning. Uh, you know, Sylvester Bondo was out. Um for that game. I'm curious. He has some offensive skills that 
But there's some guys. I mean, Kurt, Curtis Haywood could not score. Uh, AD cannot score. Um, has no kind of offensive acuity. Um, still, is a very good defensive player, very good rebounder, but uh, makes a lot of bad decisions um, with the, with the ball in his hands. And the longer it's in his hands, the worse the decision gets. Uh, you know, Jose Alvarado is going to be a streaky guy. Justin Moore is a streaky player. Um, neither one of them are great shooters. So, yeah, I, I just don't know where you're going to get a lot of offense from. Ben Lammers is not a – this isn't, you know, 1985. You're not going to throw into the post 30 times a game and post him up like Pat, like he's Patrick Ewing. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'm curious where they're going to get it from. And Ben Lammers said that he feels like, I got to st- hey, I got to step up my scoring. But that's not really his game either. His game is kind of taking advantage of mismatches and getting his scoring opportunities that way. So it would be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. You're going to have to have somebody step up, that whether it's one of the freshmen or whether Lambers hops right back into his, his double-double defensive player of the year ways right off the bat. I mean, of course, that'd be awesome to see, and I'm definitely not going to say that's not a possibility. But you're going to have to have somebody other than Lambers, you know, be able to score the basketball. So we'll see what happens. Well, uh, you want to get to questions? You want to read yeah. them this week, Jared? Yeah, yeah, let me go to them right quick. Okay. So the first one, is there any concern on the coaching staff about the O-line talent and depth moving forward into future seasons? I mean, I feel like next year they're going to be in a really good situation in terms of their depth and, and what they have. Next year you'll have Jahaziel Lee back at left tackle. You will have at left guard Parker Braun as a junior. You will have a sophomore, a junior, senior, uh, junior center and Kenny Cooper. Right guard, you will have a senior in Will Bryan. And at right tackle, you will either have Jake Stickler or more than likely you will have Andrew Marshall um, back. Which is and speaking of offensive linemen, you had that uh, – I know a few people were talking about it. What do you think – I mean, to me, I don't think it's that high of a chance, but you had that kid decommit from Tennessee, I think, yesterday. Oh, Kate okay, okay, no. Yeah, Kate Mays is not interested in Georgia Tech. I have no idea why someone even mentioned that. And that kid's like, he needs to go play in an offense that will help prepare him for the NFL. That's not a guy that's going to give Georgia Tech the time of day. Um, and that was just sad because, I mean, we we do have a decent amount of offensive linemen in the NFL. And Shaq Mason, I saw someone else say something about that too. There was just something that was published about him. But, I mean, he's obviously a guy that, you know, has a Super Bowl ring now and is, is playing in a lot of I mean, Shamir Devine may end up playing in the NFL for several years if he can get in shape. Like, there, It's just – it's, it's going to be hard to get the kid to come play a tech. Like, it's that simple. Well, and guys don't want to cut. And that's sort of the dirty secret of all of this stuff. There's a lot. They don't drive block a whole lot. Do a lot of cut blocking and – uh, and you got a lot of guys. You have to too. be an athletic, smaller guy to do that, and you have to not. Either you have to want the education at Georgia Tech, or you have to um, kind of be a guy that uh, falls through a crack, like a Kenny Cooper or a Jahazel Lee. Because um, if you look at the guys who are starting right now, Shamir Devine was a kid that was interested in the computer thing. He was a computer nerd, right? Yeah, he calls himself uh, a computer nerd openly. Yeah, Parker Braun was a kid that um, his brother played at Georgia Tech. He was very comfortable with it, and yeah. he liked the coaches. Uh, Parker Braun's a guy that could definitely actually could get NFL time in the future as well. 
uh, Will Bryan was an academic kid that um, had old school parents that wanted the education aspect of it because he was undersized. For the NFL, Kenny Cooper was a defensive lineman in high school. Jahazel Lee was a defensive lineman in high school that they converted over. Both were kind of average defensive linemen. Shaq Mason was actually a defensive tackle in high school that played offense. Um, yeah, Andrew Marshall was an undersized offensive lineman in high school. Jake Stickler was an undersized offensive lineman in high school. Uh, you go back. Um, and that's just the way it's going to have to be, you know, with Georgia. Well, that, but that's the style of offense you're recruiting to. And it's like that with any school, by the way. I've covered many different schools with many different recruiting styles, including UGA when I covered them. They had a different recruiting style with Mark Rick than other schools did, and they took different kids. And that's just the way it is. Like, you recruit to your scheme um, with some of those. It's just like how Paul wouldn't take a drop-back quarterback. Like, there's no point in that. Like, mm-hmm. that, well, I mean, that, that guy's not going to do anything for you. Yeah. So um, the reason why they even took a guy's Shamir size is Shamir literally has probably some of the best feet I've ever seen of, of from a big offensive lineman. He, he moves really well when he's – uh, in shape and, and healthy, um, he has NFL level footwork, and that's how a guy like that plays. Um, you know, that, that's a difference between, you know, just being a big guy. Like they inherited some big guys when Paul got here. Like, uh, you know, J.C. Lanier's a bad example because he was hurt and had like steel rods in his legs, but he was a guy like that couldn't move and. Um, you know, you can't play like that. So the, the end of the day, um, the offensive line is not where you're going to be finding Mr. Five-star guy. George Tech's never signed a five-star player, though Calvin should have been one. And there's certainly – I would bet almost any amount of money they will never sign a five-star or even high four-star offensive lineman in, in Paul Johnson's era like – because those aren't the kind of kids that are going to be attracted to come in. That's fine. Like, you win games with a different system, and it's the same reason why you don't have a, a tight end or you don't have, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Jacob Eason playing quarterback for you either. Like, that just doesn't work. That's not what works with what they're trying to do. And what they're trying to do is win a lot of football games of the year, even though people complain a lot about it. The fact is that, is the head coach, Paul Johnson, has been the most successful coach at Georgia Tech since Bobby Dodd. Uh, or, uh, yeah, since Bobby Dodd. And, you know, other than Bobby Ross's one really great year where he won a championship, he kind of punches above his weight, especially in a much harder ACC. So, to me, um, it's funny to see these people reinvent history as if Georgia Tech were... Um, Alabama or something and had this, you know, 20 set, you know, 15 championships or whatever it is. Like that's just not the Especially way with recruiting as well. I mean, we've it's never, never been elite at Georgia Tech. It, exactly. I'm sorry, never, never has. Except never. for when really the only time they did a little bit better was when O'Leary was there and they didn't have APR. So you just they brought these kids in, they put them in, they had them just take random classes and stay eligible. And that's why they were uh, Chan Gailey was playing with like 60 something players after O'Leary because of the mess that he left the program in. And that's something that people don't like to talk about or don't remember or choose not to remember. 
But the fact is, when they put the APR standards in, it changed a lot of things for a lot of programs, and Georgia Tech was one of them that was hurt by that in terms of the level of players they get in because they don't have underwater basket weaving and the history of beer and the other stuff that Clemson or Georgia has in terms of uh, places. I took a class at UGA where they shot guns. Like, we literally, it was a military history class, and we went in the bottom of the ROTC building and shot rifles. Jeez, that's crazy. And you know who was in the class with me? It was like half, it was three-quarter student-athletes. Yeah. I took a class that was on the history of beer at Georgia. It was three-quarters athletes. Like I do think they have one class that's about uh, the history of rap music, though, at Georgia Tech. Well, yeah, I took the history of rock and roll at Georgia, the history of African-American music, the history of popular music. Um, all of the, I took a lot of kind of bogus class. They had uh, PE for letter grades at UGA as well. So that's um, insane. Yeah, I mean it's a different animal, and people don't like to hear this, but it is. And um, I have a lot more respect for what these kids do than what the kids did that I went to school with, went through. I mean, they would be out partying on Thursday night just like I was, like before a game, whereas. These kids stay up late. They hit the books. Um, it's a it's just a different animal. And if you, but there's ways to be more successful, and that's something that people are working on in terms of trying to add support staff and do those things. That they're going to set the program up to be successful. You can be like a Stanford type program uh, where you win and are attractive to people. The problem Georgia Tech has is the further you get away from Atlanta, the more respect you get. So you ha- kind of have to get out and recruit a little bit different area in order to, to win games and to get some big-name recruits, and they need more staff to do that, and that's what they're working on. So uh, what's the next question, Jared? Okay, do you think we finally win a close game this week and actually have a little confidence going to the must- – mausoleum next week against duke to get our sixth win oh mausoleum yeah the there'll be like four thousand duke fans at that game next week in durham um i i have a weird opinion about this i think they're gonna win saturday i don't know why i didn't feel good about virginia didn't feel good about clemson or miami virginia tech was probably a better team than georgia tech last year too and that wasn't a close game by any means no, and they just came out and punched Virginia Tech in the mouth, and Virginia Tech did not respond well to that. You just saw Miami literally do the same thing to them. They punched them in the mouth the whole game and won pretty easily, and I think that's sort of the recipe. They're, the, the one thing that's different about this Virginia Tech team is they are a more of a finesse team on offense, and uh, they don't like to be hit hard. The quarterback doesn't enjoy it, and he's a tough kid, but you can really kind of get him off his off his spot by doing that. So um, I, I think that there's a good chance they win the game. I think they've played so much better at home too. So I, I feel pretty good about the opportunity. You know, I mean, the way this season's gone, who knows? But uh, I think that they got a chance to win on Saturday, and I think that would make people feel a lot better if you win the last two ACC games, set yourself up, maybe get a 12th game, you know, and just don't get blown out by Georgia. That's kind of the one thing I think everyone's kind of nervous about uh, as well right now. And kind of adding on to that, like we were talking about earlier, a 7-1 season, if we do get that 12th game, you end up finishing 7-5. and 
three of your losses being the top ten teams, I mean, that's absolutely nothing to hang your head about. It's nothing that any team could really hang their head about when you think about it. I mean, three top ten losses is, I mean, it's just not something that you can expect. You can't expect to beat those three teams. Uh, it's, it's, it's just not really if we do end up getting that 12th game, we do end up getting seven wins, you know, with two of them being Virginia Tech and Duke. I mean, it would be, it would be awesome. And the same kid asked, uh, I know this has been asked a billion times this season, but with the passing struggles that Quan had, do we see LJ get a series or two of Quan is ineffective? I, you know, I, I was sitting in the press box Saturday in Virginia. And I was just like, what are you doing? Put, 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 uh, put him in, put Lucas in like, the only way you're having any effect is throwing the football, and Taquan can't throw it when it's wet and is not throwing the ball well. Pull him out for a series, let Lucas come in and see what he can do, and Paul wouldn't do it. And maybe at home he'd be more willing to. I don't feel like this is the defense to do it against. Um, the, the, that's sort of the, my big concern right now is this Virginia Tech is a team that can take advantage of poorly thrown balls. They're very very good in the secondary and they're very yeah, good at finding balls so i mean they turned miami over i think three times saturday um you know i i don't know paul's so loyal to his quarterback he doesn't like to pull him out i think if matthew had been around he would have put him in saturday but you know i don't feel like we're going to see matthew until maybe the last game of the season or a bowl game um so yeah i I mean, short of Taquan getting his bell rung or just really stinking the joint out, I'm not sure we're going to see Lucas. Yeah, I probably agree with you there. I mean, especially with Matthew Jordan out, you'd like to see Lucas get in for a possession or two if Quan is ineffective. But I don't know. I'm a big Taquan Marshall fan. I feel like he's a a playmaker. He's obviously got the, the big playability to take 170 yards at any given time. However, there is times in the game where, like, if, if throwing the ball is necessary or anything like that, you, you want to give someone else a shot. That being said, Lucas Johnson is, it. Lucas Johnson is only a freshman. We're not 100% sure how well he's going to be able to throw the ball at the Division One level. So, it's, it's I mean, it's kind of riskier. You have to be willing to take. And, I mean, you could see it pay off, definitely. But I don't know if it gets Virginia Tech is the, the right time to do it. Agreed. He says, "If uh, if you if we are able to get that twelfth game, who would y'all guess or hope for it to be against?" Mm-hmm. You know, my money, if it's not championship week, if they play the week after that, the Army Navy week, is Georgia State. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of logistics costs and everything else. And you go play that game, you let Georgia State maybe keep the gate or whatever. There's no, or you split the gate. Um, I don't feel like playing home game makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. There's no one will be there because people make plans. I mean, I'm surprised uh, or lucky that my plans actually don't start either of those weekends. But usually, I take time off around that time to because um, it's really the, like the the week of finals at Georgia Tech's the one time sort of in December where I'm able to t- take time off every year where there's uh-huh. nothing going on. So um, you know. <sighs> Uh, I feel like it's a game like that. I don't think they're going to play. God, Florida does not want to play another game. They fired their coach. You know, people who are yeah. that up are out of their minds. Yeah, they're definitely ready for their season to be over with. And everyone else they brought, I mean, Houston, no. I don't want to see them play Houston. 
yeah. TSA, I mean, yeah, if it's in San Antonio, I'm fine with it, but, um, you so know, you're saying if, if it was against Georgia State, you would think it'd be played at their new stadium? Yeah, I think it would be at Turner Field. That would be a good. That, I mean, that would be a, a good. I mean, it's not really a road trip by any means, but it, it would definitely be a, a game that I would like to attend just with them being in that new stadium. Yeah, I mean, if Georgia Southern weren't so god awful and had fired their coach, I'd suggest going down there and get an appeal for them to play a 13th game and go down to Statesboro. Why not? I mean, yeah, there's something yeah. interesting that's not going to cost people a lot of money would be much more um, palatable than, you know, playing Arkansas State in Atlanta. I mean, who's going to come watch that game? Like Exactly. You're going to have lose a similar Arkansas crowd State to the Virginia. Yeah, and Arkansas State doesn't suck. So you're going to play in front of no one. Your players are going to be down. They're going to be pissed. They're having to play that game and no one's going to be there. You know, that just, that doesn't strike me as a, a great opportunity to, to pad the wind column for no reason. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Spence underscore GT said, can we really have an in-depth conversation about missed assignments? I played in high school in NAIA and I don't remember coaches talking about missed assignments the way PJ does. Totally different level. I know, but I just get tired of hearing about it. So the offensive line, the way they block is they count left to right, right? One, two, three. Like they're counting their guy, and they're supposed to block number X, like number four, number five, or whatever. <clears throat> so what ends up happening, what Paul's talked about, is they'll shift or line up differently, or someone will miscount, and they'll both block the same guy or miss a guy or turn a guy loose right in front of them that the guy next to them doesn't pick up. That's one of the missed assignments things. Um, another one is, like, the A-back goes in motion the wrong way. Or two guys go in motion, they get a flag. Um, yeah. Or uh, they run the wrong play, like, to the wrong direction. Like, the example of that was the screen, the jailbreak screen against Clemson, where Ricky and Taquan ran it one direction and the rest of the team went the other way the opposite direction. Um, that's a missed assignment. That's like miscommunication. Um, align, about? Alignments was the other thing, right? Um, the guy was asking about. Um, so alignments would be like your run fits. Um, so having your linebackers in the correct, correct gaps or the correct spots to, for whatever the defense is that's called and uh, getting your defense and your secondary lined up so you don't have uncovered receivers or like guys out in the slot or a guy flying in motion and no one back on that side of the field to defend him that kind of thing there's all sorts of checks that are in place to avoid those kind of things yep and uh last question from my friend rob how far do you think the pastor issue sets back the program is this enough to dissuade any recruits who are looking at us if he gets if nothing else happens other than those kids miss a couple games and Josh gets <laughs> Josh might get like a, one of those formal letters in your your personnel file you know like the yeah like a slap on the wrist kind of thing yeah like if that's what or even if Josh misses a game or two that's the extent of it yeah I think it's fine I'm certainly not a probation kind of issue unless they there's some other stuff that and the way this guy has kind of blabbed everything, I feel like he shot his load of stuff that he had mm. out there, and that's it. So, uh, you know, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of other things. Like, he didn't have any smoking guns or true evidence of anything else, in my opinion. And that's sort of what Todd Stansberry said um, publicly. So I feel like 
the the expectation I'm hearing from Georgia Tech side is nothing else is going to happen. Now the Gospy AU coach circuit, I'll expect the worst, but they all thought all these other guys would be fired now and such and such would happen. I mean, the biggest group of gossips in the world is a group of co- uh, coaches, particularly in basketball. So, uh, you know, there'll be some negative recruiting, I'm sure, but you know, right now the only thing that's going to get their recruiting going is winning games and getting a guy or two in the league. So if Josh O can get drafted, if they can get some W's, uh, get in the tournament, that's the stuff that turns it around. Cause a great example of that's going on uh, four and a half hours up the road in Winston-Salem where Danny Manning's turning around his program. They have like a top 10 recruiting class they just signed. And it really was just he got a few key pieces and then got his team into the tournament and got them competitive, and that's what makes the difference. And he leveraged long-term relationships. And Josh will be able to do the same thing if he can just keep, you know, keep keep the needle going in the right direction. And I don't know that they're going to win 21 games again or whatever it was they won last year, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> they need to be in the NIT again and be competitive, and I think that they'll start to turn the corner. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, you you commit to you commit to the school, you don't commit to the coach. So if you do see something bigger happen, I mean, you might see uh, a fall-off maybe in recruiting a little bit, but... I guess it's really just a personal thing. Like if you commit to a school really for because you like the coach a lot, then you might see somebody go, or you might see us not get somebody that we were trying to get. But like you said, I don't think it's really going to get really that far out of hand. I don't really feel like he has any kind of evidence that could really get Passner out of his job or anything like that. So I, I, I don't think it'll really dissuade any kids to to come to Georgia Tech. No, I think they're fine. I think it's not going to be a non-issue. Yep, that was the last one. All right, well, cool. Then I guess on that note, we'll we'll wrap things up for the week. I think we've gone, you know, close to an hour or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's plenty of uh, a talk for this week on what's going on. But uh, anyways, any last final thoughts, uh, Jared, on this week's game or what's going on? Uh, not really too much. Taquan Marshall tweeted out asking for a sold out well not sold out but a full stadium so let's try and let's try and give the players what they want have an exciting atmosphere and back these guys up to a win against a top 20 team all right sounds good and uh i think they got a chance to win on, on saturday so we'll see for jared hallis i'm kelly quinlan and uh we will join you next week on the jackets online podcast